0: Hey, welcome to the Celebration Church podcast. We hope this helps you to know God better and to trust Him more. To keep up with us or to get more information, visit CelebrationChurchLive.com. Tracking along, we've been cruising together for a little while now. Um, Here in Philippians chapter 4, verse 8 on this series that we're looking at our thought bubbles. And so... uh, We've talked about it every week that we understand what a thought bubble is. Uh, we've, you've seen it your whole life. You you know you had the, the cartoons as a kid, the comic strips. We get the idea of a thought bubble. But maybe what you didn't think of was the idea that for every thought bubble you've ever seen in your life, there was an author. Someone decided what was going to be written in that space. Somebody decided what that little character was going to think there was an author behind the thought bubble. And the whole intent of this series is for us to embrace some of the the encouragement of the scriptures. For us to participate in our own thought life on purpose. And Paul here in Philippians um, 4, as he's wrapping up his letter, he is reminding these believers that there's some times you need to think some things on purpose. You need to have some certain types of thoughts on purpose. If you got your and you got your Bible app, however, you're going to track with us, we've launched with this idea that our choices matter. You know that your choices are creating your, your life as you respond to good things, bad things, just everyday things. Just honestly, our, our habits are more our daily choices than they are even something we just do instinctively and and all of those different things that they're they're stitching together our life and that comes from the place of the way our thought life works and and what we think about and how we think it guides that decision making process so we want to be intentional with that because this is going to affect literally every part of your life let's revisit philippians chapter 4 verse 8 one more time Paul, again, is wrapping up his letter. He says, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. And again, we love the idea that it is whatever That means that there's lots of choices on these different spaces. It's not limited and narrow. It's actually liberating. It actually begins to to show us that we've got lots of options on this space. That so many times having God-honoring, God-centered thoughts aren't very narrow cast. But they're honestly, they, they can begin to step into just massive fields of these wonderful things these things that are true these things that are lovely these things that are excellent and praiseworthy and today we're going to look at making sure that we have our thoughts on things that are admirable and in our day and age we don't use that word very often and so you know, you. I probably didn't see anybody's social media post say see something they liked and go hashtag admirable. Okay, um, we'll say that the the variant of that is hashtag goals. Okay, we'll call that maybe the very the variant of uh, hashtag admirable. But we just don't use that word. We don't use that word, and some of it I think is because there's a space that. With the way there have been so many significant disappointments with public figures and church people and so many different things, we've begun to be reluctant about declaring admiration for someone or something because we think all of a sudden we're going to now we're going to declare some admiration and now that is going to put us in a vulnerable spot because at some point they're going to do something not admirable. And for that not admirable thing, our, our culture is going to drag them through the mud. And then now we have publicly said we like something that they did or something they stood for or something like that. And then now all of a sudden we begin to be guilty by association because of that. And, and I, honestly, I think that that overall cancel culture, if you want to call it whatever it is, just this space has put you and I in a place where we can notice something that's worth applause, that's worth admiration, and we back off from going ahead and saying, you know what, that was amazing, that was awesome, I'm so thankful this is what you live for and what you do, that, that we begin to be silent on some things that we honestly need to be championing more. We need to be more vocal about these different things. And this is one of the things that Paul is telling us. Paul is telling us that we need to think on things that are worth admiration. Okay? Now, guess what? A lot of that is going to come out of people. And the problem is, is people don't live a hundred percent admirable life. We just... We just don't. We just don't do it. And so there's just spaces where we fail and we mess up and and the human side of us shows up. But there's also times, folks, where we step into a space and the, the, the fact that we're made in the image of God all of a sudden begins to shine a little brighter And it's in those moments that we begin to to celebrate and see that if there's something genuinely admirable, it's because it reflects our Heavenly Father. And that we need to champion. How does anybody know what they need to begin to step forward to or lean into more if nobody says, Hey, man, that that reminded me of our Heavenly Father. And as I am a a, a minister, a pastor, I I get called upon to, to do funerals on a regular basis. And I have done more funerals for people I've never met than people that I have actually met. And so, and as I am preparing, um, I refuse, I refuse um, to just do um, some sort of cookie cutter funeral um, for somebody. We are celebrating the life of someone who was made in the image of God. Um, They were unique. God made them on purpose. Their life had a plan whether they lived it or not. Um, they were not an accident. And as we celebrate and we we, have, we gather together one final time, I just refuse to just sit up there and read just a couple of scriptures, have some generic things said about heaven, and call that a, a celebration of life of that person. I just won't do it. And so because of that, well, then in my prep, I have to... to, to Find something out. If there's somebody I don't know, that, that's a that's a challenge. It's a challenge for me to live my, my minister core conviction about doing a funeral with someone I don't know. And so I'm able and have learned that if I sit down with the loved ones and friends and just turn on a tape recorder. Right now a phone. <laughs> it used to be a tape recorder, a digital recorder. And so... Um, but just turn it on and just begin to, to just prod with some questions. That all of a sudden, even somebody who was who was rough, someone who was hard, some admirable qualities begin to just bubble to the surface. They just begin to. One time I sat down with a family, and there was a a man had passed, and he was a, he was a hard, hard man. And um, he was uh, uh, a, a war vet um, in a World War II. Was one of, he was, had lived a long time. His family, um, he was hard on his family. He was not a kind dad. And so one of the youngest sons was there and tell me, he said, um, this funeral, you need to celebrate that my mom stayed married to that mean son of a gun We're <laughs> being kind. For all of these years, that's what you need to do. Said, so you need to just celebrate my mom. I said, because there ain't anything good to say about my dad. And so I just sit there and we're just visiting, and all of a sudden we get about 30 minutes into the conversation, and and that same guy begins to share a little memory, a little moment around a campfire on a time. And this beautiful piece of advice that his dad gave, and so as I sat there and began to prep, then I was able to stand up, and share, and celebrate, and not all of a sudden, here in his last moment, try to paint a fake picture of this man, I didn't do that, I mean, that's that's not honest, it's not right, but to say that he contributed nothing is a lie too. to say that had nothing there, even if he did not lean into his his maker and who he was and the God that loved him so much even if he didn't lean into him anything the good deposit he made into this earth came because he was made in the image of a good God and he periodically stepped into that he periodically let that show up and so at that moment then we begin to celebrate whatever is admirable not to again, that we paint a, paint a false picture. And it's you know, very clear on that you know we're here just celebrating these moments. And that is what I believe is, is Paul's heart. Now, you know what? It is easy. It is easy to criticize and to tear down. It's easy. We're, we're good at it. You go out on any kind of little, little elementary school p- playground and you can hear the stuff. You can hear the critiques. You can hear the different things. You can hear the, the barbs and, the, and the, just the put-downs that just naturally come out of just people interacting with one another. It just comes out. You know what isn't super normal for us? is to flip that on its head and to begin to sift through some of the other stuff and find the good Find the things that are admirable. And that is what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about because you're going to always see stuff in life, in situations, in people. You're always going to see the stuff that we don't like. And we can have the stuff that we do, but we're going to have to be intentional on doing it. So today we're going to look at what it means to think on things that are Admirable. As we look in this this word, admirable, um, Paul was a very educated, intelligent man. Um, he had the highest level of education that you could get as an up and coming um, um, minister, as an up and coming uh, guy in the Jewish nation. Set under the most esteemed uh, teacher, very educated guy, spoke multiple languages. And as he's writing this letter, this word, this this Greek word that he writes for admirable, he uses this word one time. It shows up one time in the New Testament. And so this is very intentional. He's reached into his his knowledge of words, and he's inspired by the Holy Spirit to use this one specific word. And this word this greek word is euphemous okay or you want to say it real awkward euphemus, okay and it's the it's this the it's a compound word of the eu which is which is good and femos which means of fame or notoriety then so you put these two together and it's being of good notoriety whatever is noticeable or, or worth talking about, worth saying, that's good. He says that you need to think on things that are good, that are worth saying. Why? Because ultimately your thoughts are going to bring about some words. Yeah. And if we don't have that filter, what is good that's worth saying? Then if we don't have that filter, we're going to end up saying some stuff that we will end up regretting in fact we look at the new king james version of this that translation says that whatever is of good report that shows us a little bit more that this is actually going to be relayed this is going to be talked about this is going to come out of us admiration is something sometimes we can just have in our hearts and our minds but a good report is something that actually gets communicated It gets communicated in one way or another, and we need that to active in our lives. See, uh, Luke chapter 6, verse 45 says, A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart. And an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. How do we end up storing things in our heart? How do we end up? Well, any person you've ever met, who they are to you is a collection of the impressions in the ideas you have stored up in your heart. Every person you've ever met in your brain, in your your little computer in your head, they are that. Which is why we can take one person and we talk, and, and, and that we said we're, we're going to talk about. Okay, we're going to say okay, and we talk to this person, and we get a totally different picture than if we talk to this person. Why? Because they may have had completely different encounters with this person. It can also be that you could have both people have the same encounters, and they had two different perspectives of those encounters and one stored up good, and one stored up bad. And so what can only come out of your mouth about someone that you have collected negative stuff with? The only thing, the only report you can give is that. That's all you can do. Well, guess what? In, in daily relationships, you are connecting and you are storing up in your heart something Married people, you're storing up in your heart something. This tells us let's go ahead and let's look at whatever is admirable. Let's look at harvesting that because eventually that's going to come out of your mouth. How you begin to interact, how you begin to talk is going to present the view of what is taking place there. I want to look at some group of people who had the same experience and stored up different things in their heart and had two different ideas, two different reports. We're going to go to Numbers um, chapter 13. And this is here where the people of Israel under Moses, they have come out of Egypt. They've crossed over the Red Sea. They have seen God do miracle after miracle after miracle. He is providing for them in the desert to eat. He's just done miracle after miracle. And now they have to have some place to live. And he's promised them a good land. He's promised them a good space. And so he carries them there. He carries them to the space. And then they decided they're going to send in a team of people to see what this land is like. God said, I'm going to send you and give you a good land. And they're going, let's go see how good it is. So they pick one from every tribe. Okay. So one from every group of people in Israel. So they end up with 12. Okay. There's 12 tribes. So then they're going to send them in and they're going to go and look. And they're not just going to go and look for a day, like stand up on the cliff and kind of peek at it. Take some little notes and come back. No, they they went on a 40 day reconnaissance mission, okay? They go in, they check it out. This is not a little quick walk around, it's a 40 day walk around, okay? And then just to give you an example of what they saw here in uh, Numbers chapter 13, 23, it says, When they reached the valley of Eshcol, they cut off a branch bearing a single cluster of grapes, two of them carried it on a pole between them along with some pomegranates and some figs, okay? Um that I don't how big is a cluster of grapes that it takes two grown warriors to carry on a pole? That's a lot of grapes. You are not getting that through the H-E-B self-checkout. It, it, it ain't happening. That is a lot of grapes. And so as they're sitting there carrying that, that's what they bring back. So not only do they have what they have seen and stored up in their heart, they bring something that they literally cut out and said, we're just going to show you what this is. This is a single cluster of grapes. That's a lot of grapes that they bring in. So they come in and then now it's time for them to give the report. So in verse 27, it says, and they gave Moses this account. We went into the land to which you sent us. And it does flow with milk and honey. Here is its fruit. Bam! Here is this giant cluster of grapes. Man, it is good. This idea of it flowing with milk and honey just means it's got everything we could need. It is it just is a rich, bountiful land. But But the people who live there are powerful. And the cities are fortified and very large. We even saw descendants of Anak there, which he was a giant. And the Amalekites live in the Negev, the Hittites and Jebusites and Amorites. They live in the hill country. The Canaanites, they live near the sea and along the Jordan So he's just saying, there's just people everywhere. There's just people everywhere. Well, this is a good land. Did they think nobody was going to be there? They were just going to find an open space. They were going to find no struggles. Now remember, these are people who just saw God split the Red Sea. Saw God take them out of the hands of the most powerful. Powerful nation on the planet the most powerful nation on the planet. That's that's remarkable They're going against some strong people, but they've already defeated the most powerful one But they were still so stuck in their minds That they sit there and they see all the good that they was promised. It's there the good that we were promised it's there All right, I hope that's not contagious. hope y'all are understanding. But they, they, they had just experienced it, but then they go in there and they said, but, but these people are powerful, and they're everywhere, and there's fortified cities. Here's the thing, is they had embraced God taking care of them all along. But really, what it was in their heart is they were ready to not need God anymore. As they stepped into their promise, they were ready to just not need Him. They were just ready to just not have to see one more miracle. How are we going to deal with fortified cities? Well, it'll take a miracle. How are we going to deal with these big, powerful people? Well, it'll take a miracle. Well, do we have a miracle working, God? Yes, yes, yes. We've seen that over and over again. But I'm just, I'm just kind of tired of needing a miracle. I'm just kind of tired of needing God. God, thanks for setting me up. But I want to be able to take it from here on my own. And folks, if that is your heart, God, help me enough to get me on my feet. But really, when it's all said and done, I kind of want to handle this myself. You're never really going to be able to step into the fullness of what God has for you. The promised land he has for you is promised land only he can take you into. The whole point of us growing in our relationship with God is for the relationship with God. That's the point of it. Not so that we need him less, but so that we fight needing him less. We are constantly fighting needing him. But as we learn that it's a good thing to rely on him, it's a good thing that we will fight needing him less. And these people over and over and over again just wanted to not need him. But guess what? Verse 30. Then Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said... Whenever your thoughts get out of control, sometimes you need to silence them by saying. Sometimes you need to start running your mouth. Your brain starts going out of control. It starts imprinting on the wrong stuff. You start declaring what God has said. And I'm telling you, that will begin to change your life. You walk out of there, out of here with that one idea today, it will change you this week. All of a sudden, things start going around, all the chatter, all of the negative, all of the different stuff. Sometimes that stuff needs to be silenced by saying. You open your mouth and you overwrite that stuff and you begin to declare what God has said. And you can silence it by saying. And he said, we should go up and take possession of the land for we can certainly do it. All of a sudden, he's sitting there. It's like, no, God's given us this. Let's go. Let's go get this done. But the men who had gone up with him said, we can't attack those people. They're stronger than we are. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land they had explored. See, the problem with having thoughts that aren't admirable is they spread. spread. All of a sudden, you begin to get negative and you begin to notice all of the the difficult, challenging, hard stuff of life in one area. You decide, it's okay. My job kind of stinks. I can just be negative about it. You let that in there and you give yourself permission to be negative about there. It will spill over and it'll begin to affect other areas of your life. It will begin to invade. It will begin to spread. That's why this Paul tells us think about whatever is admirable. Why? Because the inverse is true. You begin to see God at work in one area, and all of a sudden, it'll open your eyes to God at work in another area. All of a sudden, you begin to notice that God's hand is at work and changing things in your life. And it spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land that they had explored. And they said, the land we explored devours those living in it. All the people we saw there were of great size. And we saw the Nephilim there. The descendants of Anak come from the Nephilim. Again, these are giants. And we seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes. And we looked the same to them. Now I don't care how big, if everybody is like Big Brother to Shaquille O'Deal. I don't care. I don't care how big they are. They're big. None of them are actually grasshopper size next to them. Okay. Even the little Israelite is not grasshopper size. Okay. Here's the problem: is beginning to think on those things. It begins to magnify the problem. All of a sudden, they saw the problem and, and the challenge was bigger than it actually was. They're not actually grasshopper size. But the problem is, is they felt it on the inside and that became their reality and then assumed it in everybody else. Because I feel like a grasshopper. They look like it's grasshoppers too. The truth is, they, we, we find out later, they were scared to death of the Israelites The report had gone out about what had happened to the Egyptians. And they're like, oh my goodness, the Israelites are right here. It was their direct opposite. They didn't look at the Israelites like they were grasshoppers. They looked like the Israelites were about to be the most most incredible invading army they'd ever dealt with in their lives. They believed God's miracle, their enemy believed God's miracle power more than they did. The enemy believed it more than they did because they did not take care of the thoughts, make sure that they were having admirable thoughts. But guess what? There was another way to look at this. Numbers chapter 14, verse 6, Joshua, son of Nun and Caleb, the guy who spoke up and silenced them by saying, he said, who were among those who had explored the land and they tore their clothes now this seems weird to us okay all of a sudden you know somebody gets upset and then, but this was a demonstration it's very cultural thing that they're like no this is absolute blasphemy we see in the New Testament that the only time in that the Jewish people after this tore their clothes is when someone was blaspheming God here Joshua and Caleb saw that these people weren't just fixated on the wrong things about the land. They were fixated on the wrong things about God. And they were saying the wrong things about their God. And they just tore their clothes and said, this is blasphemy. And they said to the entire Israelite assembly, the land we passed through and explored is exceedingly good if the Lord is pleased with us. He will lead us into the land, a land flowing with milk and honey, and will give it to us. They don't have to go take it. God will give it to them. Only do not rebel against the Lord and do not be afraid of the people of the land because we will devour them. Their protection is gone, but the Lord is with us. Do not be afraid of them. But the whole assembly talked about stoning them. It spread to everything. Now they're like, we're going to silence the voice that is contrary to us. All of a sudden, have you got have you got so upset with someone that you would actually get mad if somebody said something good about that person? That somebody just offended you so deeply, if somebody just said that they got a good haircut, you just want to punch them in the face. Like that person's a jerk. Their hair looks stupid. Like, you just get so wound up, you just like, you just can't stand the idea of someone having a positive thought on there. This is how the Israelites had become against Joshua and Caleb. They were just ready to kill them. They were just ready to stone them. And then the glory of the Lord appeared at the tent of meeting. To all the Israelites. God himself stopped. Their murderous hearts. And the Lord said to Moses. How long will these people. Treat me with contempt. See a lot of times. What we don't understand. Is when we fixate. On the problems. We're facing. Instead of the promise we have. We're treating God with contempt. We think we're just overwhelmed with the problems but he says if you if i've spoken to you and you know my promise you're not you're treating me with contempt you're treating me like i can't handle it you're treating me like it's bigger than me you have glorified the problem to now it is bigger than me in your eyes how long will you treat these people with contempt how long will they refuse to believe in me in spite of all the signs that i have performed among them And then verse 23, not one of them will see the land that I promised on the oath to their ancestors. No one who has treated me with contempt will ever see it, but because my servant Caleb has a different spirit and follows me wholeheartedly, I'll bring him into the land he went to and his descendants will inherit it because he saw it differently. Here's what's awesome, you fast forward and Caleb is a dude, Caleb's a dude in his 80s. And God kept him strong enough that he was able, there was a mountain there in the land and he wanted it and Caleb led the charge in his 80s. Can you you imagine what that looked like to the opposing army? You're not sending out some young strapping dude like some 25-year-old ripped up guy. There is this wild-eyed, gray-bearded man, 80-something-year-old man charging the hill. And they're like, this this, this old man is coming at us. If, If this is the guy who leads the charge, we don't want to deal with anybody else. And Caleb took his mountain. Caleb took his mountain. See, in verse 25, we see says that since the Amalekites and the Canaanites are living in the valleys, turn back tomorrow and set out towards the desert along the route of the Red Sea. See, when we don't look at all of God's promises, the only option that's left is going back where we came from. That's it. It's the only option that's left. So as we're wrapping up this morning, I want to give you some practical ways on how to train yourself to think more admirable thoughts. So if you think about how to say things in a kind and caring way, it'll begin to shift the way you think. Proverbs 12, 25 says, anxiety weighs down the heart, but a kind word cheers it up. Proverbs 15, 1, a gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Ephesians four fifteen, instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every aspect the in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, which is Christ. See, we have a word based on this Greek word of uh, euphemus, and it's a euphemism euphemism is a word in which we take something that, a subject matter that could be harsh or hard to deal with, and, and we just put a little lighter spin on it. We use them all the time. You, you see them on signs now, you know? I grew up, and we would go, and it would the sign said used cars, okay? But now we have a euphemistic way of saying it, pre-owned, okay? <laughs> Nobody wants something that's used up, but if it's, you know, pre-owned, you know, And, um, you know, now, you know, on Facebook Marketplace, you know, you see all these pre-loved children's clothes. You're like, no, this is something mama scrubbed the stains out of real hard and trying to sell online. That's what it is. It's it's stain-removed clothes. That is what it is. Uh, And so, um, you know, if someone's unemployed, you know, we say in between jobs. Okay. Sounds a little better. Um, You know. Instead of saying someone's bald, well, you know, a little thin on top, you know. You know, got the Sean Connery look going. And so, um, you know, instead of a, uh, the dog died, um, well, he's just asleep. Had him put to sleep. It's just a more gentle way of saying that. Saying it, instead of firing someone, we let him go. Or in the church world, we released you into your destiny. That's, that's what church people say. That's what happens to church staff. They get released into their destiny. No, you fired them. That's, that's, what, that's what happened. But that, that, but just finding better, more gentle ways to be able to say things. It, it begins to shift. And, and that's a challenge as we move forward. See, Isaiah 55 verse 8 and um, says, My thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are my ways your ways, declares the Lord, as heavens are higher than the earth. So are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. And I love how David puts it in Psalms 139 verse 17. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast the sum of them. Beginning to shift the way we think is let's let's just begin to just find kinder ways. We can speak the truth in love. We can do it. We need the truth, but it needs to be in love. And begin to embrace God's thoughts. Begin to embrace them. Say, Lord, I choose them. Our bottom line today is this: that your life will always move in the direction of your dominant thought. It just will. So if we begin to have admirable thoughts, choose those things on purpose, it will change the direction of our lives. And this morning, we want to shift because this truth is there that God's thoughts are good. His ways are better. Thank you for listening to this message from Celebration Church. You can keep up with all that God is doing here at Celebration by following us on Facebook and Instagram.